You're joining us in the final uh, sermon here, final message in this series called Kill the Spider. And we've been looking at the seven deadly sins. And these are really the, the seven sins that all of the struggles, if you were to trace them back, they'd probably come back to one of these sins. If you have not heard the other messages in this series, you can find them online at peopleschurch.tv. Check that out. Before today, we're going to wrap up by looking at the sin of anger. So how to kill the spider of anger. Now as we wrap this up or look at this topic here, I want to give you a few facts on anger right out of the gate. The average woman loses her temper three times a week. Now the first service, a guy shouted amen. That was not wise right there, all right, to do that. (laughs) The average guy loses his temper six times a week. So guys are twice as likely. And so ladies are feeling a little bit better about themselves right now. I got to be honest with you, fellas. I was like, where do they get? I I was thinking it was going to be much higher than that. So when they said that guys only lose their temper six times a week, I felt a little convicted. Like I may be part of the problem that's bumping our average up a little bit because I thought that was a little modest. Women tend to get angry at people. While guys often get angry at things, like a flat tire or a remote control that doesn't work, things like that. Guys get mad and upset. Anger is most often expressed towards those we love rather than strangers. That's a sad reality right there. The temptation to give in to anger is all around us. Haven't you noticed this? I mean, every single day there are so many opportunities to lose our temper, to become angry. Uh, for those of you that, that are young people, maybe you have a sibling, a brother or sister, maybe you share rooms, and so you're, you wake up and you're already frustrated just starting the day because they're getting on your nerves. If, if you're in college and have a roommate, a roommate who doesn't clean their, the, the dorm or they're part of the apartment, you know, or, or whatever like that, or maybe if you're married, you wake up and, and you're trying to make the bed together and, and you get mad, or you're trying to wait for your turn in the bathroom and you get mad, or you're trying to go through the plans for the day. You're talking through who's supposed to do what, and you're getting mad, you're getting angry, you're getting upset, and some of you are like, not me, man, no, sir, we didn't get angry. Well, you hadn't even left the bedroom yet, all right, so don't get too excited, but then you go out and you're trying to get the kids up out of bed, dressed, fed, and then out the door to school. How many guys know that that takes like, like major, major anointing to get the kids to the bus stop on time, right, before they miss the bus? And if you can do that without getting angry, way to go. But you hadn't even left the house yet. So now you get in your car and you're feeling all cool and spiritual because you haven't lost your temper. And then 8 o'clock traffic, rush hour traffic hits. And you know nothing will test your Christianity more than 8 o'clock traffic. You're trying to get to the office and you can start off singing praise and worship. How many of you guys know quickly you start singing a different song all of a sudden? Somebody in front of you is going too slow. Somebody behind you is riding your bumper. Somebody cuts you off or my personal worst case scenario. And I, and I realize I'm venting. I, I understand that. You just pray with me and be patient. But you know what really gets me is when there's a, a lane that's going to be closed ahead and they're giving all the notification. One mile ahead, lane closed. Half a mile ahead, lane closed. And then you can see the little cones. So you go, okay, I'm going to get over. And you get over and you're waiting in line. Shoom, shoom, people pa- 
Listen, if it wasn't for the accountability of knowing that they might go to people's church, I would be telling them something. But I just feel like as a pastor, I just don't have that freedom. We're so tempted to say you make it to the office, then you get in your office and your boss ticks you off. Or a coworker makes you mad. Or somehow, some way, you made it through the conversation with your spouse. You made it through the conversation with your kids getting to the bus stop. You made it through the 8 o'clock traffic. You made it through all day at work without your boss or a coworker, somebody making you mad. And then you get home and all you want to do is watch a little bit of sports and your team plays lousy. There are some of you, you don't lose it till the end of the day. You're mad, you're throwing the remote control, and it's because they called a bad play or lost a game and they ruined it for you. That day, you finally lost your temper. It's all around us. Sometimes it's much more significant. A lot of people carry anger and live with anger today because of betrayal. Somebody that you love, somebody that you trusted hurt you. They lied to you. They cheated. Stabbed you in the back. You're angry. Maybe for some of you it's anger related to grief. Someone you lost, someone you cared about that was close to you. And, and so through the grieving process, you're angry about what, what you've lost and who you lost, maybe even angry at God. Lots of reasons why people live with anger or carry anger. The truth is that the spider of anger has visited us all. And when you go to Scripture to look at it, to learn and say, how can I address this? How can I deal with the spider of anger? You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. You have to go back to the first person ever born, Cain. You're like, wait a minute, what happened to Adam? Well, he was created by God. Remember, Adam and Eve and their first son was Cain. And then they had another son named Abel. So now you have brothers. So you know anger is about to pop up somewhere in the story really, really fast. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Other versions say he rejected Cain's offering. He received Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. Scripture does not say explicitly why he received Abel's and why he rejected Cain's, but people have speculated. Some have speculated and said he received Abel's offering rather than Cain's because God likes meat, but he doesn't like fruits and vegetables. Okay, I don't think that that's it, but that's what some people think. Some say, no, even though Scripture doesn't record it, it's apparent that God had given specific instructions on how to bring the offering. Apparently, Abel followed them and Cain did not. Very, very possible, but there's even another option. Another option would be that it had less to do with the offering itself and it had more to do with the heart behind the offering. In other words, when he looked at Abel's heart, there was a heart of worship. There was something about the motive, the love, the affection, the honor in the heart of Abel that when he brings his offering, that it pleases the Lord. But there was something in the heart of Cain that even though he brought an offering, God was more concerned with the heart with the offering, and he looks at it and he rejects it because of something that he saw in Cain's heart. 
And so he rejects his offering, and it says in verse 5, So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Point number one, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, write these down. Number one is this. Anger is always a heart issue. Anger is always, somebody say always. Anger is always a heart issue. It's not a personality issue. This is just how I'm wired. It's not a cultural problem. This is how my dad raised me. This is how his dad raised him. It's just about a part of our culture as a family. It's not a cultural problem. It's not even a character flaw. Well, I just need to be more patient. I just got to keep my anger under control here. I've just got to be, be a little more uh, diligent in keeping it suppressed. I would say it's much deeper than all of those things. It's a heart issue. And as long as I'm preoccupied with making excuses or trying to justify why anger is getting the best of me, reasoning it away, explaining it away, justifying it, all I'm going to be able to do is try to address some cobwebs instead of dealing with the problem itself, the spider of anger. How many of you know that if I have a tube of toothpaste and I squeeze that tube of toothpaste, what's going to come out? Some of you are like, that's a trick question. I'm not even, you're not setting me up. No, it's just toothpaste. You squeeze it and toothpaste comes out, right? If I had that tube and it was filled with water and you squeeze it, what comes out? You're gaining confidence. Yes, water in, you squeeze it, water comes out. If you fill it with shaving cream and you squeeze it, come on, what comes out? Shaving cream, what's in there is what is going to come out. When anger comes out of me, it's always a heart issue. Whatever is in the well is what's going to come up in the bucket. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything, somebody say everything. For everything you do flows from it. So no matter what's going on around you, no matter what is happening to you, no matter what's going on in your world, you have to guard your heart. Let's look at this next thing here as we continue. As we look in chapter 4, verse 6, the next part of this, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? You have to know anytime God is asking a question, it's not because God does not know the answer. Right? So anytime God asks you a question, that's where you pause and you think for a minute and go, hold on, there's something deeper here that he's after. Because God's not ever asking you something so that you can inform him. As if God's going to go, ah, oh, that's what I was wondering. Thanks, you cleared that up. God is never asking you a question because he lacks information. Anytime God asks you a question, he's asking me a question, is because he's wanting to inform us about something. He's wanting us to think about that question, and as we answer it, pay attention to our response and our answer. So it is with Cain. He says to Cain, why are you so angry? God knew why he was angry. He says, why are you so sad? Why are you so downcast? He knew why he was downcast. He's saying to Cain, I want you to stop and think about what you should already know. This is not complicated. This is not difficult. He's saying, you need to look and realize you are angry, you are mad, and sad. And so look at what he says in verse 7. He's addressing Cain and his heart. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. He's saying this is not complicated. This is not difficult. He's saying, think about it, okay? Why are you mad? Well, I'm mad because... He's wanting him to think it through. And he's going, now think about that though. If you had done what is right, if your heart was right, if you were honoring me and worshiping me the way you should, wouldn't good things happen? But you have to know this, that if you don't choose to address the spider of anger, if you don't address those things that are going on in your heart, You need to know this, sin is crouching at your door and is waiting to rule over you, to master you, to destroy you. He's saying, think about this, Cain. Just think about it. It's not complicated. So God is making it so clear. You kill the spider or the spider will kill you. And here's the second point. I just want to pull from what we just looked at. And number two, second thing is this. Anger is the fruit that comes from bad seeds. Anger is the fruit that comes from bad seeds. He's telling Cain, Cain, don't allow stuff in there that should not be in there. I don't know, maybe Cain was upset and angry because he was feeling rejected. Maybe those were the seeds in his heart, rejection. So because of rejection, now it's giving, giving birth and fruit to anger. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's wasn't. Rejection is the reason a lot of people today are living with anger. Perhaps Cain was jealous of Abel. Maybe Abel was a mama's boy. Maybe he was dad's favorite. Maybe Cain was sick and tired of hearing about how great Abel was in sports. Maybe he was tired of hearing about how smart Abel was and made such good grades. Maybe he was jealous. We don't know, but here's what we do know. Cain's anger didn't just come out of nowhere. It came from his heart. So God is saying, if you have the right things in your heart, it's going to go great for you. But if you allow bad seeds in your heart, they will grow. They will take root. They will produce a destructive fruit. It will destroy you. And that's true for all of us. Be careful what seeds you allow to be planted in your heart. When the enemy is trying to, when other people are trying to sow seeds that are bad seeds into your heart, don't allow those things to stay there. Seeds of jealousy will always feed the spider of anger. Seeds of rejection can feed the spider of anger. Seeds of bitterness can feed the spider of anger. Seeds of revenge will feed the spider of anger. Anger, guard your heart. Don't allow bad seeds to be planted in your heart because you will find that this third thing is true. Number three is this, that anger left unchecked is destructive. Now, you're not going to believe this next verse. I mean, this is going to be something to like, say what, for real? But it is for real. And if you think about it, you see it in our world today. But here it is in their story way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, now with verse 8. Even after God's saying, come on, check yourself. Man, look at your heart. See what's going on. It says, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. How does it get to a point to where it's that out of control? I mean, when it says that 
Cain was angry, literally for that word uh, angry. It, you, you could always, it's, it, it could also be understood as hot. You ever heard somebody say, he's hot-headed? You ever heard somebody say, she was just boiling, she was just steaming mad? You ever heard that before? It's red face, it's muscles tightness, ah, and he was boiling, furious, man. This isn't, he was frustrated, he was irritated, he was bothered. This goes to the core of who he is, and left unchecked, what does it lead to? Cold-blooded murder of his own brother. I know that story happens so fast. We've only been talking for a few minutes, and we just went from the beginning to where he was born, and, and now all of a sudden these kids were like, whoa, man, I didn't have a commercial break. I didn't even have time to process that. You just went straight there. But can I tell you this? Even though the enemy's tactics may be more subtle and more just, just kind of uh, this slower process, this is a great, quick, like condensed version of this is what happens with anger left unchecked. It's destructive. It hurts. It destroys. Listen to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. Somebody say foolish things. Come on, have you ever said something that you regretted? In a moment of anger, have you ever done anything and thought, that was not my brightest moment? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Anger can grow out of control. We lose our clear thinking or sound judgment. And for one, it hurts me. You've seen videos, right? These viral videos that go of somebody who got mad and frustrated at something and then when they did, they just lost it and started going ballistic. You ever seen that? They started throwing things or maybe it's one. You see somebody, they're mad at their computer. It's not it's not working right. And so instead of like trying to figure it out or reboot, they just take the whole computer and rip it out and throw it on. You ever seen anything like that before? Or somebody who gets mad at something like they stump their toe, but then get mad at the table. Have you ever? I've done that before. I've done that. But just think about that. I get hurt, but now all of a sudden they get mad. They're, they're, now they're kicking. They flip the table over. They're punching the wall. You're like, hey, man, this anger is just hurting you. The table was just sitting there. I mean, it didn't do anything. It was just sitting there. But what happens is our anger, when those seeds have been planted and anger is left unchecked, now all of a sudden it's causing me to do harm to myself. There are so many different stories and examples of how it leads to even physical problems because emotion, uh, because even though anger is an emotion, it can lead to physiological effects like stress. Because you're leaving anger unchecked, your, your life is full of stress or ulcers. Like for real. High blood pressure. I'm doing this to myself. No, I'm angry at the table. No, I'm angry at the computer. But I'm hurting myself. All kinds of headaches, all kinds of physical problems. There's this man by the name of Dr. F.I. McMillan who wrote a book called None of These Diseases. He has listed 51 types of illnesses that can be traced back to bottled up anger. It hurts us. It hurts others. See, the problem with your anger is that it's not only your problem, it's a problem for others too. Because my anger affects my words. Anger left unchecked will affect what I say. It will affect what I do. I've got to be very, very careful because my words can become destructive. You will say something to your spouse or to your child, to a friend that they will never forget. And have you noticed that sometimes when you're angry, you'll say something not only 
that you wish you hadn't said, but you'll say stuff that you didn't even mean. Have you ever done that before? You'll say something hurtful or destructive, and then later on you go, I don't even really think that. But it causes you to lose sound judgment. You're not thinking clearly. And so now we're doing things that are hurting ourselves and hurting others. So what do you do then if you want to kill the spider of anger? How do you deal with it? Well, I want to show you a few things here out of this verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, and it's going to give us some insight. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says the first thing it's going to show us here is how to understand or know the difference in good anger and bad anger. It's going to show that there is a difference. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Does it say that all anger is sin? Come on, does it say that? No, it says, in your anger, do not sin sin. So you can be angry and still not sin. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament says 375 times it says God was angry. And God doesn't sin, but he had anger. How many of you remember the story in the New Testament where Jesus goes in and he starts clearing out the temple because those thieves had come in and, and they were ripping people off for the sacrifice and it was, they were just uh, spiking the prices and, and, and just abusing that, that opportunity there. And Jesus said, man, you've made this into a den of thieves. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. And so it says that Jesus came in with anger and he was upset. And so what we've done in the church world to explain you know, God's anger and Jesus' anger is we, we call it Righteous indignation. Doesn't that sound churchy? Righteous indignation. That's when it's okay to be mad. You just need to be careful. If you go home today and your son forgot to make his bed and you go in there and you start flipping over dressers and ripping blinds off the wall and say, righteous indignation, just trying to be like Jesus. No, that's not righteous indignation. You've got to be careful. If your anger leads you to do something destructive, Instead of productive, you can know that you're on the wrong street of anger. That is not healthy anger. You don't scream. You don't fight. You don't say hurtful things that you'll later regret. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. When you're talking about unhealthy anger... That kind of angry person will never live a righteous life. You cannot live a godly life with unhealthy anger in your life. It can be harmful or it can be helpful. Just make sure that if you're getting angry, if you're mad, if you're upset, let it be for the right reasons. It's just an emotion, but make sure you're, you're channeling it or you're processing it in the right way, or it's even about the right kind of things. It's not okay to be angry when you think the whole world should revolve around you, and then when it doesn't, we get angry. No, what about getting angry at the fact that we live in a world where sin is destroying people around us? Get mad about that. What if you got mad over how Satan is attacking your friends or your family and it ticked you off? What about getting angry over the fact that there are kids who are waiting to be adopted because they've been taken from homes where the situations were abusive and it breaks your heart, it makes you mad, and now you can channel that anger towards a solution that is productive instead of destructive. Pray. 
serve, give, love, rescue. It's okay to be ticked off. Just make sure it's about the right things and then do something about it. An angry person when it's unhealthy, you won't live a righteous life. Here's the second thing I would see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, is deal with your anger right away. Deal with your anger right away. It says in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, deal with it. Don't just leave it there just to fester and to grow and to get out of control. You remember that story of the men and lady who had a fight and they were so mad at each other they didn't even want to talk anymore the rest of the day. Came time to go to bed and, and he, you know, he turned his back towards her. She turned his, her back towards him and then he realized, oh man, she wakes me up every morning and makes sure that I'm, I'm on track for things and I've got to catch an early flight out tomorrow. But he didn't want to ask her. He just couldn't do it. Couldn't ask her. Didn't want to talk. Didn't want to be the one who gave in. And so he just waited and you know, he decided, I know what I'll do. So he wrote down a, a, on a post-it note wake me up at 6 a.m. went over there and put it on the dresser right beside her so she'd see it next morning he woke up looked over the clock and it was 7 30. so what in the world How, didn't she see the note and he looked over and there was another post-it note right beside it said wake up Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do something about it. Seeds of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, revenge, all of those things left unchecked will produce things in your life that you will always, always, always regret. If it's anger towards someone, seek resolution. If it's anger over something that was done to you and a resolution isn't possible because they're not willing to do anything, then you must still deal with it. Even if it means I just got to process it with Jesus because this person's not open to it. We'll still process it. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 109 as he was angry. Those were against him and, and say, yet he still comes to God. He says, my God whom I praise, do not remain silent for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship they accuse me, but I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. He's mad. He's He's hurt. He's angry. And if you read down through the rest of the chapter, you'll see that he has a few suggestions for God on what he should do to those people. So he's processing. But I want you to notice verse 4. He says, but I am a man of prayer. Process your anger. Deal with it. Take it to God. Because there's too much for you to lose if you don't properly deal with your anger. Look at the rest of verse 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. It's the last thing that we pull out of this verse is don't give the devil a foothold. If you give him an inch, he'll become your ruler. Let him in one room of your life, and he will take over the whole house, because the devil never plays fair. His desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't let him. Don't even crack the door open. Slam it shut. Don't let him use the spider of anger to destroy your peace, to rob you of your joy. Kill that spider of anger before it kills your marriage or your relationship with your kids or your peace in life. Don't 
Give the devil a foothold. Deal with your anger appropriately. What does that mean? Identify those things that make you angry and avoid them if at all possible or address them if not, but avoid it or address it. Don't live life so tightly wound, so uptight that just the smallest of things sets you off. So if traffic is that much of an issue, I just need to leave a few minutes earlier just to guard my own heart. Learn to relax. Live with the peace of God. Give your anger to God and let him help you and heal you. My father-in-law is a man of God. Uh, He's a great father-in-law. He's a great dad to my wife, Casey, and her brother, and he's a great grandfather to our kids. He's awesome. He's shared his testimony before of how earlier in his career, he had this really huge business opportunity that was going to require basically that he just cashed all in and put his hope in this thing. It's like, hey, he and this business partner had this opportunity, and so they said, let's do it. Well, long story short, the business partner ends up taking all of the money and heads west, leaves town. So here he is left. He's going, I can't believe he's hurt. He's been betrayed. He's confused, doesn't know what he's going to do. He's angry. Matter of fact, so angry to where he decided what he was going to do when he found out where that guy was. He said, I'm going to kill him. He caught in the car and started driving west to California where he found out the guy was and he took his gun with him with the intent to murder. And on the way as he was driving, he passed by a church that was on the side of the road there and the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart that he needed to turn in. And he pulled in and he talked with the pastor and he prayed and in that moment God changed his heart. God rescued him from his anger. He didn't go through with his plans. But the really, really cool part of the story is that years later, he was out in California with his family and he drove them past the state prison And he said, that's where I would be today. Not here with you, but inside locked up in there if God had not delivered me from my anger. Can I just tell you that God's story for you has a happy ending, but you gotta kill the spider of anger before it kills you. You've gotta declare war on that and say, I refuse to give in to that. It will not rule my life. Whatever help that you need, you take those steps, you get that help.